Thanks, Mitch. If you will take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Just a second, we're going to read Acts 2. We're going to read 46, excuse me, 36 through 41. A message entitled, a very personal message entitled, Your Choice. Your Choice. I will tell you that the New World Coming series will probably come to an end next week as we finish chapter 2 because now the New World's here. Acts chapter 2, as I've told you many times, is, the, is to me the center point of Acts, the center point of Christendom outside the resurrection of Jesus. It's the most important part of the Scripture. For you see, all of the Gospels, I understand there are 28 chapters in Acts, and you'll go, well, <coughs> this is nowhere the center, Brother Jerry, but here's what I'm telling you. All four of the Gospels in the first chapter of Acts led up to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 that we've been in, for the, this is the third week now. When you get to Acts chapter 3, to act till, even to today, everything that happened from Acts chapter 3 forward is a result of Acts chapter 2. If we miss this, we miss so much. Those first 13 verses, just let me just kind of... Let me kind of catch us up for those that may not have been here. Chapter 1, Jesus ascended and the, and the 120 returned to Jerusalem and they prayed for 10 days and they prayed for the promised one of God that is that Holy Spirit we were just singing about to come and overcome them. They didn't know what it was going to look like but they just knew that they wanted it and they prayed for it for 10 days. Acts chapter 2 opens the first 13 verses we talked about two weeks ago. The Spirit of God fell from heaven. And when it fell from heaven, it fell in such a way that everybody knew something was happening. There were, there were sounds, there were sights, there were sensations. And for the people in the building, they saw it, they heard it, and they felt it. And it was so magnanimous, and it was so magnetic, that people from the community, probably eight to 10,000 people from, from Jerusalem, gathered in the building... <clears throat> because they heard the sound, because they saw the sights, because they wanted to, to understand and feel the sensation. You see, the truth is, when they saw it, when the lost world saw it, first of all, the 120 didn't understand all that was going on, but when the lost world came into church and they didn't understand what was going on, Peter felt like it was his job to explain it to them. Now, if you don't know what explain is, you're not from the creek. Explain is the word for explain. You all got what I'm telling you? He wanted to know what was going on. And so he stood up and he preached and he tied these events of what was happening to the Old Testament to today about how the Spirit of God would come. But then he left them with a choice. He told them all that was going on, all that was happening, but then he left them with a choice. And here we are 2,000 years later, and you've got a choice today. If you will, if you found Acts 2, verse 36, would you stand, if you can, to honor the reading of God's Word? Peter ends with this great verse. Therefore, let all the house of Israel... Can I just pause there and say, let all the house of New Hope, let all the house of Marion County, let all the house of Ten Mile Creek... Let all the house, let everyone know in the world. Therefore, let all the house of Israel and everywhere else know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, 
whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah, or Christ. And when they heard this, they were pierced, they were cut, they were pricked to the heart. And Peter and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off, as many as our, the, Lord God, the Lord our God will call. With many other words he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them, i.e. added to the church. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray in the next minutes, I pray that you will speak words into us that we need to hear. I pray that you will last be overcome by your Holy Spirit. You're welcomed here. I pray that you'll hide me behind the cross. I pray that I'll not speak one word that's not yours. I pray that I'll not have one thought that's not yours. I pray that you will lead me, hide me behind the cross. But then, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. Fill us with your spirit and hide us behind that cross, that blood that we've talked about and and the presence. And, Lord, I pray that today as we face our decision, I pray that we'll make the right one. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Most of us like to read verse 41. Boy, it's it's the joy of our life to read verse 41. They they accepted the message and were baptized. About 3,000 people got saved. 3,000 people joined a church of 120. Does that sound good? Well, y'all are already asleep. Does that sound good? Sure it does. But you know what the truth is? Is that those folks came, those eight to 10,000 people came to meet with the, with the 120. They heard the message of Peter, and then they had a choice. They had a choice. Today we're going to hear a message, and we have a choice. And we like making choices. Come on, let's be honest. We like making choices. I mean, we get to choose all these things. We get to choose what we wear. We get to choose what we eat. We get to choose where we eat, what kind of car we drive, where we go, what we do. We get to choose all these kind of things that kind of makes us feel in control. We just love to to choose things. Choices are a part of everyday life. I've probably told you this before, and I know you remember everything that I've said since the first day I was here. I know you remember it all. But one of my favorite songs of all the hundreds or thousands that I may have sung over the years, one of my favorite songs is written by a guy named Bob Sterling and recorded by just a wonderful vocalist, the late Luke Garrett of Brandon, Mississippi. These are the, this is how the song opens. Some say life is just a series of decisions. 
We make choices. We live and learn. Now I'm standing at a crossroad. I must choose which way to turn. Down the one road lies all the world can offer, all its power, its wealth and fame. But down the other, there's a man with nail scars in his hand, but there's mercy in his eyes, and there's power in his name. You see, folks, we are faced with decisions all the time. Peter brought them to the point, and he said, this is what you need to do. God has made this Jesus both Lord and Christ. And as I read this story, <coughs> excuse me, four things permeate my being. Four things happened in this story in the moments that, that followed him giving that, uh, that message. And I want to give them to you. If you have your bulletin, you can write them down. If you don't, you can record them and you can study them later. The first thing that jumps out at me that happened is that they understood an unchangeable reality. An unchangeable reality. Think about this. Peter stood before them and he said, therefore. And any time you hear a therefore in the scripture, you better find out what it's there for. Therefore, since all this stuff I've said, you must be sure. You must be assured. You must be clear. You must know with certainty. You must understand. And what is that? That God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when I read that verse, every concept in that verse is important. We could spend the rest of the day just unpacking that verse. But I'm just going to give you a couple of things from just to kind of feed your soul and your spirit. The first one is this. We can't get away. This is the unchangeable reality. This is what Peter was expressing to them is what I'm expressing to you today. The only way to be a part of God's new world, Jesus' new world, the only way to enjoy Jesus' new world is simple. You have to have a personal, daily, ongoing, growing, maturing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. I said it's simple. I didn't say it was easy. Because you see, folks, Jesus is the only way. And if you think, well, I'm just going to go Jesus' way and that will all be cool. Listen to me. Jesus requires something. Jesus requires something. He gave his life. He shed his blood. He spent three days in the grave. He requires something. He requires us to die to self. To live to Him. You cannot live to Him without dying to self. You cannot live for Him without dying to self. He died for you. Now He asks you to die to self and live to Him. He requires, listen, don't miss this. He requires an all-in quality. With Jesus, it's all or nothing. Can you imagine when Peter was preaching, can you imagine the emphasis that he placed on those two words? Lord And my translation says Messiah, many say Christ. Those two words. One of those words means someone who is supernatural authority to be the commander or ruler. Supernatural authority to be the commander or the ruler. The other word means anointed or appointed. So here's what Jesus is for you and me. Jesus is the one who has been anointed 
or appointed to have supernatural authority in our hearts, in our lives, as the commander of our life. That's an unchangeable reality. He's the one that makes the difference. He's the one that gives the leadership. In that culture, in that day, when he used that word, Christos, uh, um, which is Messiah or Christ, Those folks thought he was the Messiah, and they thought he was the deliverer. The Jews thought Jesus came to deliver them, but they thought he came to deliver them from the Romans. From the Romans. Today we might think Jesus is our deliverer, but he came came to deliver us from all the bad parts of society. When you dig into it, you know what Jesus came to deliver us from? A more ominous, a more ominous presence than anything you can imagine. Jesus came to deliver us from ourselves. A great theologian, Pogo. Does anybody here remember Pogo? Kids, that's a cartoon character. He made this statement. He said, we have met the enemy And he is us. You see, if we're left to our own, you know what will happen? We'll destroy ourselves. (laughs) Look around this world right now. In the 60s, we thought we had a better way than God. And so since the 60s, I can attest to this because I was a teenager. Since the 60s to now the 20s, here's the deal. The The world has gone nothing but down because we've kicked God out. We've decided we know better. Well, let me just tell you, the unchangeable truth is that we're destroying this world. Well, Brother Jerry, you know, well, let me just, let me say, let me speak to us people in the South where going to church and getting baptized and making decisions and all this are part of the culture. Jesus is not just your weekend friend. Jesus is not someone who you can call on to just in the bad times. He is not the one that is just a a crutch that we need. He's not the one that we cast aside when things are good. You know what the truth is? Jesus is the one who came for us. He lived for us. He died for us. He paid the price of our sin for us. He gives us a new heart, a new life, a new direction, a new hope, a new home in heaven one day. This is Jesus. He gives us access to the Father. You have no access to the Father without Jesus, the second person in the Trinity. Who was from the beginning and and is will be to the end. I could spend hours and on hours talking about this, but please listen. If Jesus is not, I want I don't care how long you've been a member here. I don't care how long you've been a member of whatever church you've been a member of. If Jesus is not your personal friend, your daily friend, your guide, your ruler, your savior, your Lord of your life, the unchangeable truth is, is that in that day, when Jesus calls the world to an end, you're not going to have any place in eternity. You're not going to have any peace forever. And you're not going to have any part in his kingdom. I talk with people all the time who try to convince me that they're okay. I talk with them about about Jesus being the Savior and the Lord of their lives, and I get this answer. 
I go to church. Brother Jerry, I've been baptized. But do you know how much money I give to the church? Truth is, as that conversation goes on, do you know, do you know, do you know, that conversation goes on, and then I get the look. The look. The look is like, Tracy, they look at me and they like, you're taking this way too seriously. Now let me just say this to you. I have taken things too seriously in my lifetime. Man, I used to take golf way too seriously. For that matter, any sports, softball, baseball, football, basketball. Took my music too seriously. I mean, I, it was everything. I'd cancel anything to do some, some of that. I've taken some things too seriously. But please listen to me. With all that's at stake, with eternity at stake, how in the world can we take Jesus too seriously? You see, he's the answer for our lives. Just as verse 36 that we read is immutable, is unchangeable. It's that daily walk with Christ that will save you. There are many today that feel like they can fix themselves. They're, uh, do you know how good I am? Do you know who you're talking to? Well, actually, I do. You're the one created by God. And like all the rest of us, you, you were created and born in sin. And you can't make your way by yourself. Isaiah tells us, Isaiah, I think, what, 64 or something like that, says, our best, the best you can be, is but as filthy rags in comparison to God. He's the one. Jesus is the one appointed to bring peace and hope and help and love and salvation and righteousness to our lives. Forgiveness. As you can tell, there's so much more here, but before I leave this verse... I want to point one other thing out to you. Peter says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, here it is, whom you crucified. I dare say that when he preached it originally to that crowd of 8,000, he probably looked around there and he goes, Who? You crucified he probably saw some folks there who were in the crowd hollering, Crucify him! Whom you crucified. But just as surely as he did that, you need to hear this today. Just as surely as he did that, it is just as sure that I was holding the nail or I was swinging the hammer or you were holding the nail or you were swinging the hammer that hung him on that cross because it's mine and your sin. That's unchangeable reality. It's mine and your sin that put him on the cross. When that point is made, something happens. Is that we move from the unchangeable reality to the unexpected 
realization. I want you to get this picture. They had had church. And what the kids just sang, overcome us, Holy Spirit, it actually happened. And everybody showed up. So get that picture that you had 120 believers and had probably eight to 10,000 other people there. Here's what I'm going to tell you. These folks didn't come to church to hear a convicting message. They didn't come to church to hear the Bible preached. They didn't come to church to sing a song. They didn't come to church to think about eternity. They didn't come to church because of a tradition. They weren't like people are today and come to church to see family or to see what people wore or to see what's going on. They didn't come to church for that. They came to church, are you ready, out of curiosity. They just came out of curiosity. They didn't expect anything to happen. I wonder, I wonder if that's us today, that we don't really expect anything to happen. We just come out of curiosity. What's Brother Jerry going to preach today? Is he going to stand in one place? What's his first letter going to be today? What songs are we going to sing today? Who's going to be there? I wonder if that's where we are today. And then something unexpected happened. They came and they heard a message about God and how he made Jesus Lord and Christ. Think about this. They came and they heard a message about Jesus. You know the one they killed and didn't stay killed? It? They buried him and he didn't stay buried? They heard a message about Jesus and that God has made this Jesus, who they tried to get rid of, he had made him Lord and Christ. That struck a chord with them. And the scripture, verse 37, says they were cut, they were pricked, they were pierced. I think of the word lanced. It's kind of like they lanced that heart open. When I was in high school, I got a rising on the back of my hand, and, and it really got bad. One day during football practice, I went to coach, and I said, Coach, I can't hit anybody anymore because it hurts too much. He looked at it, and he said, You're excused. Go check out. Go to the doctor, get it taken care of. I walked right down the road to Dr. Duck. He deadened it, and he took his little, let me gross everybody out. He took his little knife, and he lanced it, and it, everything came out of it. Ooey gooey, slowy looey, okay? But you know what else? He got the head out. And then he put a little butterfly stitch on it, and it healed up. You see, the Holy Spirit of God pricked their heart, pricked their troubled heart. He, when, you, when you read that word in verse 37, they were pierced to the heart, it literally means it was troubled, it was cut, it was moved, it was distressed. They weren't looking to have anything happen to their heart. They weren't looking to be touched. But the message and that Holy Spirit that we just sang about touched them and moved them and changed them. Brothers and sisters, please listen to me. When you feel, when you feel that the Spirit of God is speaking to you, it's a dead giveaway that He actually is. And it's a dead giveaway that He wants you to do something because God doesn't waste words. Is he speaking to you now? 
How long has it been since he spoke to you? How long since God has done business with you? You see, when God speaks to you, you'll be like these guys. Watch this. Verse 37, when they heard this, they were pierced the heart and said to Peter and the rest of them, Brothers, what should we do? What should we do? Has that question ever crossed your mind? I, I, I believe God's speaking to me, but goodness, I honestly don't know what to do. I honestly don't know what to do. These guys didn't know what to do. And that brings us to the third happening here. You've seen the unchangeable reality and the, and the unexpected realization. But watch this, the unavoidable response. Before going to the text, let me say this. When God speaks a word into your heart, a response is unavoidable. It's kind of like when your parents tell you to do something. Your parents tell you to do something. Now the kids just zoned out on me when I said parents doing something. They kind of zoned out. The parents tell you to do something. Or if you're at work and the boss tells you to do something. You ready for this? Whatever you do next is a response. You see, when God speaks to us, and he doesn't waste his words, when God speaks to us, he calls us to something and to do something. Here, he was talking to eight or 10,000 lost people, and so in verse 38, he says, repent and be baptized, each one of you, because he knew that they needed to be baptized. That may be the message you need today, repent and be baptized. You see, you see the truth is, we need to understand this. You can't be baptized until you repent. I'd like to say that again. You can't be baptized until you repent. You see, repentance is the internal, what happens internal, and baptism is what happens external. Baptism is the exterior display of a change that's happened interior. Over my lifetime as a pastor, I've had many people come to me and said, you know what, I am saved but you know what? I got baptized before I got saved. And so they come forward. In fact, we have one person right now awaiting baptism that has come and said, I got saved after I got baptized. Now I need to get baptized. Please listen to me. You can't be baptized before you repent. You cannot be baptized. We can put you under. I can take somebody up here and we can feel this and I can, and I can dunk them till they're drowned. But you know what? All they are is wet. Everybody's seen it. You cannot be scripturally baptized until you're saved. You see, the truth is, is that it has to do with your baptism in order. Brother Gary Bowen spoke about this. Do you all remember that? You repent and then you're baptized. And then, you know what the scripture says? You'll receive the Holy Spirit, the promised one, the Holy Spirit. And, and it's for you and for it's for you and for those, your children, it's for those here, it's for those yonder, it's for everybody that God calls. There may be someone in this room right now. Maybe someone in this room right now that God is calling to be saved. Oh, you walked the aisle many years ago or a few days ago or a few weeks ago or sometimes in the past. You walked the aisle, you prayed a prayer, 
You went through the baptism, but nothing happened inside. But maybe God's still calling you. Maybe He's giving you a second opportunity. Here's what I'm, my message to you. Years ago, we used to sing a hymn. They still be in the hymn book. It says, oh, why not tonight? My question to you is, why not today? If you've never trusted him, if you've never repented, why not today? But if there's someone here, oh, Brother Jerry, I know without a doubt, God's speaking to me. And I know it because I'm familiar with his voice. He's speaking to me. As best as I can tell, my life is everything he wants it to be. As best I can tell, I am in line with him. But he's still speaking to me. Please listen. If he's still speaking to me, he's speaking to you to do something. Hello? He's speaking to you to do something. Ben Mitchell. Or, I like to say preacher boy, but I feel like that kind of is a down... I don't mean it that way, but he's our young preacher man. He preached here. He's going to preach in May. And he's preaching all over our association. God called him to preach, and Ben said yes. You see, God may be calling you to do something. He may be calling you to do some kind of ministry. It could be a full-time ministry. Are you listening to young people? It could be a full-time ministry, vocational, like Brother Jerry. It could be a bivocational ministry, like, what's your name? Brother Eric. I'm sorry, I forgot his name for a second. It could be a volunteer ministry. It could be a ministry right here in this church. Now let me just kind of, let me kind of spur your, if God's speaking to you, years ago, and I didn't ask, it's always easier to gain, get forgiveness than it is to gain permission, okay? So I'm about to use my wife, so we'll see how it goes. Years ago, God called her to do women's ministry, and ladies, some of you have already seen that uh, calling in action. I shall never forget, 40 years ago, we went into, we moved to church. I was still in music at the time. And we walked, we were literally in knee-deep in boxes unpacking, Jimmy. And we were unpacking. I think I was in the kitchen and she was in the living room. And the WMU director walked in and said, Have I got a place for you? And Deborah goes, Yeah. She goes, I want you to do the mission, friends. And Deborah goes, that's not who I work with. That's not my gift. And I guess this woman had never been told no in her life because she looked at me like, are you going to do something? I wanted to say, honey, I live with that woman. I'm not about to twist her arm. But I didn't say that. I was nicer. And she looked at me and I said, I'm the minister. She's the member. She gets to choose where she works in the church callings and the gifts that God has given her. And um, she said, well, I believe it was Baptist Young Women at the time. I believe I don't believe it was women's ministry yet at that time. But she said, I, you know, I feel this call to work with young women. And the, and the lady goes, we don't have one of those. And you know what? They did when we left. God may be calling you to do some volunteer ministry right here at New hope. And you're going, but we don't have that. But listen, the reason that we may not have that is because you haven't stepped forward and been obedient to the, the Lord and come said, God's called me to do this. You see, we are a body. We work together. And if we work together, what you will discover is where God guides, he provides. 
The list is endless about where he can call you if you are interested. If you're not, you're going to have to sit through this. If you think God's speaking to you and you go, how can I get a hold to God? How can I know? How can I know what God wants me to do? I'm going to give you three. They're not going to be up there. You'll have to write them down. I'll give you three suggestions. Number one. If, you, if God is speaking to you, you don't know what he's speaking to you about, and you want to get to the bottom of it, and you want to, be, you want to do what he wants you to do, three suggestions. Number one, make your default answer yes. Make your default answer yes. If your default answer is anything but yes, you're in trouble. The second thing is, when you come before him in prayer, Alone and in prayer, you start from a position of neutrality. Are you ready? Neutrality. That means you don't come to God with a with a with an agenda. God, you know, I kind of sense that you want me to work over here, but I really want to work over here. <clears throat> That's not being obedient. You start from position of neutrality. Your default answer is yes. You start from a position of neutrality. And third, then as you vow, expect a sense in your spirit of where God wants you to move. And then say yes. I want to share this with you is that I believe if everybody in this room came to this place right here is that I believe that the sky is the limit about the people whose lives we could touch and change. Let me tell you, take, I know I'm over time and I'm sorry. <clears throat> Let me take just a minute and, and say a personal word just like I did the first hour to us. I can say this, I believe, because I don't think there, there should not be any doubt in this congregation about how much I love you. How much I love being your pastor. How much I look forward to what God's doing among us. But here's what I know about us after being here for 18 months. Nobody would accuse us of being a moving church. What are you talking about, Brother Jerry? That means when we get to the time of decision, like we will in just a few minutes, the altar is flooded with people coming to do business with God. The pushback is, I can sit at my seat. I won't argue with that. And do business with God at my seat. I'm not going to argue with that. I can go on the fish creek bank. I can go in the deer stand. I can go at the ball field. I can meet God. Every, and it's true. I'm not going to argue with that point. But I'm going to offer you this. When you get along with God, it will nail down whatever decision you come to. How long and I pray for the day that when we, when we stand and we sing or we stand and we, or maybe we even remain seated and, and we get into a time of decision that people realize that because they come to the altar don't mean that they're the scum of the earth. You know the truth is that's what's going on. Is that because too many times people have come to the altar to pray and people go, well, what did they do? That's a wrong, that's a... That's a, a fleshly mindset as opposed to saying, thank you, God, that, that Joe's coming here and, getting, and, and doing business with God. 
Thank you that Tiffany's there. Thank you for what you're doing in their life. Thank you that, that Mark. You see, folks, it's a mindset. I long for the day when we get so serious about what God's doing in and around us that we become known as that church that moves. And I just want to say this. When you come to the altar, and, or the front pew, if you can't, if some people can't kneel, but you come to that front pew or the altar, what the two things happen. Number one is you have, you're alone with God. You're not back there with a, you're alone with God. And when you leave, a couple of things happen. You'll have peace in your spirit. You come spend a little time, you'll have peace in your spirit that you have done your best to hear his voice and follow his leading. And the second thing that will happen, after you leave the altar, the building, your heart will be more sensitive to his voice than it's ever been before. Because you sacrificed a little bit and got along with him a little bit. Folks, when God speaks to you, it's personal, as is your response. That's what happened in this story. The unchangeable reality. Man, God made him Lord in Christ. The unexpected realization that he's spoken to me. The unavoidable response. Every time God speaks to you, you respond. That brings us to the last thought. The unbelievable results. Now, when I say unbelievable results, now hang on, I'm almost through. When I say the unbelievable results... Verse 41 is such an encouraging verse because it says those who accepted the message were baptized and, about, and that day about 3,000 people. What would it be like? It, I tell you what, if we had 3,000 people to baptize, I could probably baptize the first thousand, but then I'd have to put the deacons in there uh, to help me and get it all done. That's a lot of people. Baptized. Church grew from 120 to 3,100. They grew from a small church to a mega church. And in Acts 6, the church was still growing. Historians tell us by Acts 6, the church was 20,000 people. Acts 9 tells us that the church continued to multiply to what we see it is today. But numbers, while impressive, is not the unbelievable results I'm pointing to. Are you all with me? Have you gone to sleep? Here it is. If you read verse 41, it reads like this. So those who, here it is, accepted his message. That's the unbelievable results. They came not looking for anything, but they got pricked in their heart and they accepted his message. To accept his message means they means that they embraced it. It means that they believed it. It means that they received it. It means that their lives were changed by it. It's sad to say that too often today that people come and they say they trust Christ. And instead of trusting Christ and his gospel... They believe in something kind of a morph, some kind of a compromise that they can give him what they want and he'll be fine. No commitment, no sacrifice, and no heart. 
Where you are with Jesus is all a matter of what's going on in your heart, even at this moment. What's going on in your heart? The Bible has plenty to say about the heart. It's with the heart. We believe it's the heart where he speaks to us. It's the heart that reveals what's important to us. It's the heart that tells people who we are. It's the heart. And it's your choice. It's not mine. If I could make it for you, I would. It's your choice. God's spoken to you. You're going to respond. It's just a matter of whether you're going to respond yes or no. mentioned uh, the altar. Here's, let me just tell you a couple of things. You've got nothing to prove to your pastor. You have nothing to prove to this church. But you have a Lord that watches over you. Ryan prayed it a while ago, Lord, do in us what you want to do. Kind of paraphrasing, but bless my heart when, when we decide that we want to do what God wants us to do. But never forget Jesus died for you, for me. And then he gave us a choice. Will we follow him or follow ourselves? Let's pray together.